0: Turn to First Thessalonians chapter four. We're going to look at verses three through through eight today. So, First Thessalonians chapter four, verses three through through eight. Well, the the story that has been making the news these days, and uh, is that has been really making its rounds in the media, is the recent scandal, the sex scandal of one of our prominent generals and our most recent CIA director. And sadly, it's uh, not the first time we've seen this happen time and time again with one prominent leader after another. And unfortunately, it will not be the last time either. But one of the things that struck me as I uh, read through and as I look at some of the Remarks, it came from a statement by one of our presidential historians. And this historian wrote this I wish we could go back to the time when the private lives of our public figures were relevant only if they directly affected their public responsibilities. Again, she, she wrote, I, I wish we could go back to the time when the private lives of our public figures were relevant only if they directly affected their public responsibilities. And at first glance of hearing that, you you know, my feathers kind of get ruffled. Like, what are you thinking? What do you mean this isn't relevant? And then I, after my righteous indignation rises up, then I realize Well, that's the world. I expect that casualness towards sexual immorality. I expect that attitude of minimizing such an act. But what concerns me is not so much what the media says. It's not so much what those who are without Christ do. What really concerns me in my heart is what the people of God do with sex in their lives. What concerns me is the body of Christ, the people of God. See, I expect sinners to sin. What do sinners do best but to sin? But what troubles me is when the saints who are sitting in the seats of the churches sin just like those who are not saints. That's what concerns me. It concerns me when I get reports of Christian institutions where the passing around of their mobile phones with pictures of pornography is just a casual thing, just to show your friend, here, look at this or look at that. What concerns me is when I get an email from one of our, our missionaries who's working with a parachurch ministry. And he gets this prayer request to me who finds out after doing a survey of those who are coming out of college and are signing up for internships and staff positions in this Christian ministry that they find that 90% of the guys are struggling with pornography. And this is their leadership. What concerns me, not only 90%, but 20% of those are women who are struggling with pornography. It concerns me. What concerns me is what I know in the church from my experience of almost 13 years now in full-time Christian ministry as a pastor. I was trying to think, I don't know if there's ever been gone by a year where I didn't have to deal with someone in their struggle with this issue of sexual immorality. What concerns me is not only those that I know that are struggling within the church, but what concerns me even more is those I don't know because they never come to me for help or anyone else. That's what concerns me. I'm concerned for the church of Jesus Christ. I'm concerned because I'm a pastor who prays over your soul. I'm a pastor who cares for your concern of your spiritual well-being, and time and time and time again, I have seen the utter destruction that sexual immorality can pour out upon individuals and families in their lives. I come to you today with this message, which is not an easy message. I wrestled over it. Do I preach this or do I not preach this? Do I or don't I? And the Lord just kept putting it on my heart, and so I am. I come to you today as a pastor who comes clothed in the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. That's it. I'm clothed with that. I'm forgiven. I come with you as a heart that I care for your well-being. I care for those who are struggling and entangled and in bondage to sexual immorality. And my plea and my prayer for you is that you will come to a place of repentance and that you will turn to Christ and you will find your freedom in Christ who has already made you a saint and given you a position with Christ. My concern is that those of you, by the grace of God, who are not struggling with it, my prayer is that you will take this serious and that you will pray for those within the body of Christ who are. And that you will not be a place of judgment, but that you will be a place where grace and mercy can be found to point people with great gentleness to repentance. That's my heart today. This issue of sexual immorality is, is nothing new. And as you look into 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 8, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of young believers. And he had just gotten report back about these young believers, and he got this report of how they were doing well. How they were growing in the faith. How their love for each other was growing. And their love for for the lost was growing. They were going out and they were sharing the gospel. How they had a steadfast hope in the return of Christ. And so he's encouraged. But also at the same time, he knows the reality of the place and the culture within which they live. He knows the casualness of which that culture has towards sex and particularly sexual immorality. And so with a pastor's heart, an encouraging heart, he comes to write to deal with this issue. Thessalonica was a city that was rampant. It was a part of the Greco-Roman world where sexual immorality just flourished. There was no real laws to kind of impede the progress of sexual immorality. More than that, Thessalonica was a port city. A port city where trade took place, where sailors came in and out, and so you can just imagine. Also, Thessalonica was a place where sexual immorality was part of the worship. Matter of fact, if you were to flip back and you were to read in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, you see that the Thessalonians turned to God from idols to serve a living God. And when you, when you hear that, that they turn from God, from, from idols to a living God, you've got to realize that a part of that was sexual immorality. They had a view that to have sex with one of these prostitutes was in reality, these prostitutes which would represent a particular de- uh, deity, was to have closer communion with these deities. That's the culture in which these people had been redeemed from, rescued from, and Paul knows the entanglements and the pull that such an experience can have on the people. So he writes to him out of this concern. And he writes this and he begins in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 2. He says this, For we know what commandments we gave to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. He's reminding them, say, hey, we, we've, we've talked about this. What I told you wasn't something I made up. It's something that came by the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what I come this morning in. And he writes this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. We so often want to make the will of God difficult, but it's often very clear. In fact, you want to know how you you understand the, the unknown will of God? You focus on his known will, and he'll make the unknown clear to you. So here he says, I want you, it's by the will of God, it is your sanctification. Sanctification is that that work of God that follows, first of all, his, his work of justification. That is, when you come to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he places on you the righteousness of Christ. And so when God looks at you, you're declared righteous. That's your identity in Christ. We're righteous before God through our identity in Christ. But, and we look forward to a day when we get out of this world and we get new bodies and we'll have a, a body that is glorified, that where we will fully experience that righteousness. So you have justification, glorification. But in between this time, there is what we call sanctification or progressive sanctification, whereas we're identified in Christ, but Christ wants us to continually set ourselves apart from sin and unto the righteousness and holiness of God. That's his will for you and I right now. So if you ever come at me and ask, Matt, what is the will of God? Probably the first thing I'm going to tell you is, here, it's your sanctification. God wants you to set apart to his holiness, to grow in that. And then he gets real particular, and he says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual Immorality, that's what he wants to focus on particularly. I want you to abstain from sexual immorality. Let me get this first clear to you. Sex is a wonderful thing. It's a good thing. God created sex. But did you know God created sex ultimately for his glory? What I mean by that is that God, it tells us in First Corinthians chapter 6, He says this, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. It also says that the the body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. That it was ultimately created for His glory, for His purposes. And sex is a part of that, but only as it operates within God's design. So there's holy sex. There's righteous sex that takes place between a man and a woman. In matrimony. And then he also speaks here of sexual immorality. This is the word poinoneus. Guess what word we get from that? Pornography. Sexual immorality is simply anything, any sexual behavior, illicit sexual behavior that takes place outside of God's parameters and design. That is, between one man. And one woman, let me make that clear, one man and one woman committed to each other. That's God's design. You know why it's so good? Because when a man and a woman, they commit to each other, they leave and they cleave. That is their primary relationship with each other. And they move and they develop in this oneness towards each other. So there's permanence, there's oneness. And then it talks about in the scriptures in Genesis 3 or 2 about Intimacy. You know why God wants sex just between? Because that's the safe place for it to take place. That's where real security and intimacy will be found when people are committed to each other and striving towards oneness together, and that's a holy sex. God's for it. But He says, "Abstain from sexual immorality." This word "abstain" literally means to keep away from, avoid, be distance. And in the Greek, it's in the middle voice of the verb. And it emphasizes this. It emphasizes the personal responsibility you take. And literally, you could translate it to hold oneself from. When he says abstain from this, what I want you to do is I want you to hold oneself from sexual immorality. you say, Matt, how in the world do I do that? You know how hard these longings are? You know how bad, these, these cravings for, and the culture everywhere tells me it's normal. So how do I hold oneself, hold myself from sexual immorality? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. I think in our scripture today that we are given, particularly here in verses 4 through 6, we are given uh, some skills, some important ways to hold ourselves from sexual immorality. And I believe the heart of the step is found in the middle of verses 4 through 6. And let me read verses 4 through 5 for you. It says this, That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, and not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. That is, in essence, he says, Look, don't fall the pattern of an unbelieving world who don't know God. A people who, they have a a lust for sex, a passion for it. In essence, when he's talking about a lustful passion, he's talking about uncontrollable urges, out-of-control cravings. That's who they are. That is to be expected, church at Thessalonica. But that's not you. You know God. You know Him. You're not like them. You know God is good. You turn from those, those dead idols to the living and true God. You, you, you know the God who loved you, who gave His Son for you, to die on the cross for you and was risen again. You know that God. You, you know God is trustworthy and, and He's wise and that His ways and His design for sex is, is better than what that world could ever tell you. You, you know that. You know His mercy you know He's withheld His wrath from you. know His grace and how He's poured that upon you. And you know His holiness, that He's utterly distinct. That he knows no sin. That, that, that's your God that you know. You know, church at Thessalonica, to, to worship Him because he's, he's bought you with a price and made you His own so that you would worship Him you ought to offer your bodies not in lustful passions but you ought to offer them to your bodies to him in worship and view of his surpassing mercies of salvation church of Thessalonica the passion of our lives ought to not be marked by sinful lust but it ought to be marked by a passion for knowing God Colossians 3 verse 5 says this it says immorality and pu- purity passion evil desires and greed, that they amount to idolatry. You want to know why people struggle with sexual immorality? Is because sexual immorality becomes their idol. It becomes the center of their lives, their affections. It's the passion of their heart instead of God. See, one's affections, one's heart must change before any true, lasting change can happen. You see... Behavioral methods without heart change are ultimately meaningless. So as some books recommend, guys, hey, bounce your eyes when you begin to have a lustful act for a woman. And there's a place for that. But if there's not a heart that is fueling that move to bounce your eyes away from lusting at their woman, it won't last. It won't work. You have to have a passion for God. You have to worship Him. You have to come to love Him. With all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul and all of your strength. You see, it starts with the heart. In his book, The Obedience Option, David Haig writes of talking to a young man who claimed that he couldn't stop the pattern of sleeping with different women. The young man knew it was wrong, but he also claimed that his sexual lust was inevitable. Therefore, it wasn't his fault. And then he gave this this line, especially since God had created him with such strong desires and urges. Ever heard that excuse before? Finally, Haig interrupted this young man and he said this, suppose that I came into your room and caught you and your girlfriend as you were just starting this inevitable process. Suppose I took out ten $100 bills and I told you that they were yours. If you stopped, what would you do? The man quickly, young man quickly said, I'll take the cash. Then Hag turned around to him and said, So, what happened to the irresistible force of lust? And Haig and this young man both quickly realized a simple truth one passion may seem irresistible until a greater passion comes along. And here's what I want to tell you you know where the battle against sexual immorality starts? It starts with a passion for God. In knowing Him. Not just with your head, but with your heart. In worshiping Him. In loving Him. It's with a passion for God that 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 is what replaces our passion, our lustful cravings for sexual immorality. That's the start of the battle. It's out of this heart that I think leads to the second thing. That is as our attitude changes... For a love for God, a passion for God. Look what it says there in verse 6. He says this, And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. That is in the matter of sexual immorality. Reality is sexual immorality always, get this, sexual immorality always, always, always hurts somebody else. No, come on, Matt. This is my own private thing. Yeah, you know, it's just me and my computer and myself. It just it just it's just me. No. It's you and that person on that screen that you're helping their disobedience to continue by your contribution to the production of that material. You're hurting somebody else. You're adding to it. Sexual morality, sexual immorality is the sin against others. It defrauds or robs them of true blessings. Someone wrote this and I quote them Sexual sin always hurts somebody. There's no such thing as safe sex outside of marriage. They don't make a condom for the heart. So don't plunder somebody's purity. Don't rob their respect by marring memories that will be with them for a lifetime. Don't cheat your wife by dreaming of other women. Don't defraud your husband by flirting with other men. Don't steal what is not yours. Your date may be someone else's spouse one day. Sexual immorality always hurts someone else. It defrauds them. It robs them. In lust is not loving. So we start with a love for God. And then we move to a love for people. It's a lot of a love for God that we're moved to love people. Because guess what happens when you start loving God and then start loving people, you also begin to look at people how God looks at people. So when I'm talking with a guy and he's struggling with pornography, one of the talks that I have with him is I said, well, Imagine if uh, that person that you're looking at there on the computer or whatever, imagine that's your sister. Or, or buddy, imagine if that's your daughter. And that's your daughter and your daughter often resembles you. She's most likely creating your image and your likeness. Would you want someone looking at your daughter that way? And then they get real convicted. I say, no. I say, see, that's how God looks at people. All people have been created in his image and his likeness. So if you want to love God and love people, you've got to look at people how God looks at people. And God sees them and he values them and he loves them because they're made in his image and his likeness. So don't misuse them. Don't misuse them with your thoughts, with your eyes, and your actions. Don't rob them. Don't defraud them. Love them. So we love God and we love people. And then I want to give you something else here. I want us to utilize God's resource. Look at verse 4. It says this, That each of you know how to possess his own vessel and sanctification and honor. That phrase, know-how, is it, is it, it's a Greek word that carries the idea of having knowledge or having skill to accomplish the goal. And so in essence, it's as if Paul's saying, hey, you have to have the knowledge and you need to have the skill to know how to have self-control to control your vessel, which I believe refers to the body, their own body. And so I want to give you some, some skills to help you control and they're skills that God gives us, the resources that God gives us. And what's neat about these resources is as you utilize these resources in your life, they will, they will fuel your love for God. They will energize and enable you to love people. And they will help you to control your vessels for the glory of God. So, so let me share some of these things with you. There's, there's actually uh, five of them. Now, I try to make it easy. These these, these resources are, are five things to help you pass on sexual immorality. All right, us pastors like to do these little things. So I came up with this, so just laugh at it and say, that, that was a good one, Matt. All right, but hopefully you'll remember it. Okay, Grant, I'm sure you like it, don't you? You love it. Okay, so pass on sexual immorality. The first one is this prayerful dependence. Jesus told Peter when he was uh, struggling to stay awake in the garden, he says this. He says, keep watch and praying that you may not enter into the kingdom. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's saying, your flesh can't do it. And what prayer is, is prayer is an act of faith and dependence of coming to God and saying, I can't do it. And that's where it starts. We can't live this Christian life in our own power, in our own strength, in our own flesh. We are weak. As Charles Spurgeon used to say, we are feeble, frail people apt to fail. I'd be the first one to raise my hand to that. That's why we must be prayerfully dependent. And here's some ways of how I do it. Here's how it looks in Matt Reynolds' life. See, these, this sheet here, I know it's very comprehensive that I gave you, and you're like, oh, my goodness, how, is he actually going to talk about all this stuff? I'm not. This is a tool that I've designed for you to help you and to help you help others who are struggling with this. As you see, there's some prayers. And here's some prayers I use in my life, I, I particularly when I want to pray about spiritual warfare. I, I pray about the place of, of, of the world in my life, and I pray something like, oh Lord, guard my heart against the temptations of the world. Guard me against that. Renew my mind and my, my spirit within me. Or, or I'll pray about uh, my flesh. And I'll say, God, empower me through your Holy Spirit because my flesh is weak. Or I'll pray about the temptations of the devil, and I believe the devil works through the world in our flesh. And I say, Lord, help me to resist the temptation of the devil and submit to you only, God. You've got to get practical about this, folks. This is, this is a battle here. I'm talking about a war that's going on. And here's some, here's some weapons to use, and it's prayerful dependence. The second is this. It's accountability with fellow believers. One of my favorite verses is Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if any of you is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore. That's from a word to mend a, a broken bone. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Do you want to have someone that comes and not just hammers you over the head but that can tell you the truth but they do it with gentleness and grace and love and humility not thinking themselves better that comes along and say brother I love you and, I, and let me help you mend this broken bone in your life You got to pray for somebody for that You got to ask. You got to seek them out. Someone that will bear one another's burdens. That's the idea of coming under a load that's too heavy. You and another person comes under, and they get there with you, and they'll say, "You know what? I know this is tough in your life, but I'll get there with you, and I'll lift up for you too." We were not created to live Christianity in isolation. We were created for community. Community with people who would bear one another's burdens. Don't be a lone ranger Christian in this battle. The third thing is we need to be Scripture-filled mind. That is, the mind is the key in this battle for sexual immorality. You want to know why you do sexual things or sexual immoral things? Is because you think sexually immoral things. That's why Christ says in his word, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. This is a battle. So every thought that comes in your mind, you've got to take it and say, is this obedient to Christ? And guess what? You don't know what's obedient to Christ if you don't know God's word. If your mind is not being renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So saturate yourself with God's word. Because if you want to change your thoughts, you've got to replace them with God's thoughts. Another thing here is, uh, is the spirit filled walk. Some guys will come and I'll talk with them and they'll say, Man, I just can't control myself. You know what I tell them? I said, I know that. I can't control myself either. But guess what? God didn't leave you here to live the Christian life on your own power and your own strength. Matter of fact, He said, You know what? I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to put my spirit within you. And if you walk by the spirit, you will not walk in the flesh. And to walk by the spirit is simply this. You're simply yielding to the known will of God in your life, his truth. And you're saying, I see your truth, so I take scripture-filled mind, and I put it together with prayerful dependence, and I say, God, I yield myself to you. You have to help me to walk in your spirits. And guess what's the fruit of the spirit is? One of them is self-control. That's where you have self-control. It's the spirit in your life. It's where you find it. And so I pray for it. And there's some examples there. And then there's this last one. It's shoes. That's right. Shoes. These right here. That's what I'm talking about. Shoes. And you're saying, Matt, are you nuts? What is, is that extra biblical? No, it's very biblical. matter of fact, there's a, a very biblical passage there. You find it in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, the first two words there. It says, flee immorality. My mama had a good saying when we would go out. She had a good thing that she used to tell us. We ever gotten ourselves in situations where we know things didn't feel right, they weren't right, that you shouldn't be there. And you could just kind of sense it coming. Mom would say this, get your running shoes on. Just just lace them up, get your running shoes on and run. And flee. I know a guy who was in a situation where a friend came and all of a sudden he, he puts on this uh, pornographic video. He rolls off the couch and he runs out of the room. It wasn't cool, but it was right. He put his shoes on. I know a lady who was at a party, had no idea what was going on, that they decided to bring one of those strippers. And the first thing she did is she started looking for the first door she could escape from. It just so happened that the one she went in was a closet. But it worked. She put her running shoes on. And she went. And so what Mama's telling you and what God most importantly is telling you is to put your running shoes on. Matter of fact, somebody need to go to bed with your running shoes on. Okay? And leave them on. Don't give an inch. Don't give anything, any room for sexual immorality in your life. Run from it. Flee from it. So there's the what and the how, but now why. And I'll just quickly go through this. First thing is that God takes sexual immorality serious. Verse 6. He says that no man transgressed and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warn you. And I'm going to warn you now. God takes this serious. If you are a child of God, I'm going to warn you now that God will deal with it. I can't tell you when. I can't tell you exactly how. But he will So repent now. And he doesn't do it because he he doesn't love you. He does it because he does love you. And he doesn't want you going on in that stuff. Second thing here is is he states it's more wise because it's God's call in your life. Verse 7 says, For God has not called us to the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. It is God did not save us from sins to be dogs that go back to our vomits. That's not why he saved us. God saved us from our sins to free us from the bondage of sin and slavery to sin. He doesn't want you to go back to that junk. but He's called you to a purpose, a holy purpose, to be sanctified, to live for him, to glorify him. And guess what? When you glorify God, there's blessing in that because God is a good God, when you do it the way He calls you to do it and thereby glorify Him, you reap goodness from that. And at last, He says this, So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. If you go out of here and don't follow this, you're not rejecting me one bit. It's not my message. God says you're rejecting Him and you're rejecting the very Holy Spirit that He gives you. Here comes back to the place of the Holy Spirit in your life. Did you know that every time you commit that sexual immorality, the Holy Spirit's with you? And He's there working your heart, and He's, he's convicting you. You know that feeling that you get in there? You shouldn't have, be doing this. That's the Holy Spirit who's present. He's convicting you. He says, don't go this. Don't do this. Don't go this way. Go, go this way. Take the way of escape that I have for you. Put your running shoes on. Go. And then when we reject Him and don't follow that, in essence, what we're doing is what Scripture talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5, we quench the Spirit. And it also does what Ephesians chapter 4 talks about. We grieve the Spirit. Did you know that God is grieved when we fall into sexual immorality and other sins? He's grieved because He loves you. He cares for you. child of God... God has His best plans for you. And He's sorrowed when you choose to follow the ways of the world and then sexual immorality into His plans. And He wants to save you from the heartache and the pain and the destruction that comes with it. And so it grieves Him. It hurts Him. So this is my exhortation. Pursue God with a passion. Say no to the lustful passions of the world. Seek to love people as Christ loved people and depend upon his resources in your life. As the worship team comes forward, we're going to bow our heads. I have no closing illustration. My illustration is going to be your response. I'm going to allow you to have here in the quietness of your heart. There's two things I put as response, and you can find these, and I want you to open up that sheet, uh, that sermon outline in there. The first thing is this, that there are some of you here today who are struggling with sexual immorality, and I don't care if you're completely enslaved to it or if you just say, man, I just do it every once in a while. You're struggling. And what I want to call you today to is I want to call you to repentance that you'll turn from that idol in your life and you'll turn back to the true and living God and that he becomes a passion in your life. And so there are some example prayers that I'm going to allow you in the the quietness of heart as we prepare for communion as well that I I want you to just kind of go through and reflect. The second thing is there are people here that uh, you need to pray for yourself and your own protection from this. Or you may, somebody of you might be saying here, you know what, you know, I hate these kind of sermons because I don't struggle with this at all. This just doesn't really m- apply to me. Let, me. let me rearrange your thinking there for you. First of all, in Scripture, in Romans chapter 12, it says this, So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This matters. You are, we are members of the body of Christ. We are members of one another, and you should care for those who are struggling. And so I'm going to call you out to pray for those who are struggling with this. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for your friends here in this in this this building here. And I've given you some very detailed examples of things that you can pray for for them. So as our heads are bowed at this time, I'm just going to give a couple minutes that you begin to reflect on this if we turn the lights down just a little bit and then I will close in prayer and then the worship team will sing and then Grant will come to lead us in response through communion God we we come here this morning and Lord oh, I realize this is a a heavy message Lord to I thank you for it. I thank you for your word and your truth that you expose to us, Lord, because you love us. And you want us, Lord, to experience the blessings that you have for us, that you've given to us already in Jesus Christ. And So, Lord, I come and I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning. I pray for myself as well, Lord, that you will draw us just closer and closer with you. Lord, may we uh, just fall more in love with who you are. May we taste more of your goodness. And, Lord, may we long for you more. And, Lord, I pray for those who are, are struggling. I pray, Lord, that you will work in their hearts, that you will humble them, that you will bring them to a place that they will confess and that they'll repent. So, Lord, that they can come to a place where they can enjoy a clear conscience, and have restored fellowship with you. I pray for those who are struggling, that, Lord, they will humble themselves and they will be willing to come and they'll talk to someone and they'll get help. And know that this is not something you do by yourself, but that God has given us other fellow believers who have the Holy Spirit in them to encourage and to build up. So, Lord, I pray that you will do a cleansing work in our church, cleansing work, Lord, that will free people from the slavery of such sin as sexual immorality. Lord, I pray that we will be a body of believers who are caring and that are gentle towards those who are struggling. And that when they come to to us with struggles, Lord, we do not look at them with judgment, but we look at them with grace, knowing that we too are people who are feeble, frail, and apt to fail. And Lord, we have. And so that we'll be used of you to pour out the love of Christ and grace and point them to truth. Lord, I pray that you will do a cleansing work in your church, Lord, so that you may be magnified and that you may be glorified, Lord, and we may be used of you in a more powerful way that makes your name great. Lord, again, we praise you and we thank you for your truth. And I pray, Lord, that you will just bless this time of communion, that as we look forward to it, as we look and we're reminded of the payment that was made for us to meet us even in this moment now, that continually provides forgiveness for our failings and by grace gives us the permission to get up. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.